The following program is intended for mature audiences only. It contains realism, truth, and opinion. Nothing you would ever want your children finding out because then they'd accuse you of being a spineless brainwasher. You must be over 18 to listen to this broadcast. Consider yourself warned. In 1957, the AMA classified alcoholism as a psychological disease, a disease which your culture continues to treat by way of a weekly meeting that has a success rate of some 7%. Which is fantastic for those 7%, but what about the remaining 90-some? Let's have our own meeting tonight about this on The Fabulous D Show. We're checking into Alcoholics Anonymous right now. I had a dream. It's still... It's still the biggest and best. It's the Fabulous D Show. Never ends, does it? Quando, quando. All that space. Oh, oh, God. Well, you have something in your mouth, let me get a word in. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Chicken. Go get the chicken. You bring this out in me. <laughs> You'd never start saying, who did they suck off? Look at that. <laughs> oh, I'm a fantastic dancer. I'm not ringing my own bell. The Fabulous D. The Artist D. A template for talented energy. Some say superstar and others just say, holy moly. The day I grab my crotch, it'll mean it's falling off. I'd stay away from him. <laughs> That's dangerous stuff right there. I'd put some distance between me and him if I were you. Five piercings through her lips and ten piercings through each ear and her eyebrows were done and her nose was done and all sorts was done. And I couldn't exactly chicken out. Oh, that sounds fun. Good God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Don't white supremacists claim to be trying to save the, the white race because that's Jesus and God, right? Aren't they? Isn't that what it's all about? Right. Oh, exactly. Well, it's, well, how nuts is that? It's ridiculous. Hello. I've been in bed with D and it was so good. Hello. Can I say that on here? Good evening, London. Good afternoon, Seattle. A little glitter-encrusted morning to our fabulous street team in Australia. We do apologize for this interruption. I do, too, enjoy the comforts of everyday routine and tranquility of repetition. However, our little chats are most important. As the truth is, there's something terribly wrong with this world, isn't there? Coast to coast, continent to continent, everywhere in between, it's the Fabulous D Show, the show for anyone with a brain in their head. I am the artist D. Who the hell else would it be? And that over there is Vanilla Child. Hey. What's that? Oh, Vanilla Child, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. I'm tired. I was tired too. I was stricken and strucken. Stri- stricken with tiredness. Tiredness about an hour ago. Ooh, that's not good. I know, but I'm trying to get through it. And I'm sure you will. You'll be fine. Drink some coffee. I, I've got my tea, and I've got... I'm, I'm having a new water experience. 
a new water. Yes, I'm trying some it, Perrier. Ooh. Yes. The, Perrier. The, the, That's the, not new water. The, well, it's new water for me. I've never had it. It's pretty good shit, isn't it? I wouldn't say that. It's like yeah, I'm it's drinking nasty. club soda. <laughs> That's what it is. And there should be something else in my club soda if there was club soda. And we Did you get on an just regular Perrier show. or yeah. the lemon? Just the regular. Oh, so you need the lemon. The lemon's not too bad. Okay, I'll have to try that. Because ever since our water show, I've been wanting to try this extra enhanced fizzy water. Yeah, well, like I said, it's not new. It's very, very old. Well, I mean, I'm aware it's old, but it's just new to me. Well, I mean, compared to, like, Fiji water and, and vitamin yeah. water and all those newfangled waters. Yeah, and, and as I, all I, the bubbles hit my nose, I was thinking, these are fake. It's soda Cause, water. Because as we found out on the water show of the Fabulous D Show, that they, you know, they take it from a fizzy spring, but then they inject more bubbles into it. Because it's not <laughs> apparently the natural fizz is not fizzy enough. People want fizz fizz. Well, people want what they want. Fizz is good. Fizz is good, I guess. I mean, it's interesting. And I, it tickles. Uh, it, it tickles, and it's the first French. Is it in it France? Yeah, first French yeah, water French. I've ever had. <laughs> Better than naive water. Yeah, I mean, although I, I see the novelty because someone drinking it would think they're drinking more than water. <laughs> like I said, it's soda water. Although, as they pointed out before the show, I'm going to be burping now. Probably. Do you put some gin in it? No, not on the Alcoholics Anonymous show. Ugh. It's the <laughs> best show to put it on. I guess so. So that would be good with some gin, actually. You're not an alcoholic. Well, I am an alcoholic. No. Yes. <laughs> no. Perhaps I, I'm a recovered or something like that. They would think I was a recovered alcoholic, but I'm not a recovered alcoholic because I still drink. But you drink in moderation. You don't over... That's not now, an alcohol. You know well, you could have done that at any time, and you was, know that. It was not in moderation previously. So Nor that could I necessarily control does not an alcoholic make. But it, it's... And that's what tonight's show is all about, is that the, the definitions of which this falls under... Because there's so many. There is. And it's a very wide brush. And I was trying to find clips to play during. Uh, and I found very th things I didn't agree with. That You know, like, like a Robin Williams sketch of uh, making fun of it. But he was basically talking about drunks. And to me, I don't picture drunks to be alcoholics. But they are. I'm thinking I... more of the functional. Because alcohol yeah. is supposed to do something. It does something different for an alcoholic than it does for your average drunk schmo. I guess. I don't know. I just never would have, even at your drunkest, considered you an alcoholic. I would have because of the withdrawal and how much it took me to stop drinking. Well, but that's a lot of mental stuff, too. It is. And that is, it is a disease of the mental and physical by definition. They say right, but you had more to overcome mentally than just the alcohol. True, true. You know, I mean, and 
it's just so much to get into, and we, of course, will cover as, as much as humanly possible here on The Fabulous D Show. But it is a disease, and yet the only cure that they offer people is a meeting, basically. Mm, infamous did, meetings. Very, and I just found that odd when I thought about that. It's like, you know, it is actually in 1957, the AMA said this is a disease. And, you know, if you had cancer and somebody told you, you know, your only way to get better to attend a meeting, you'd look at them like they were insane. Yeah, I never understood the whole concept of those meetings. I just now they have like, meetings for like everything. Oh, I keep exactly. hearing on the radio for Overeaters Anonymous. OA. Oh, exactly. Well, it's the thing that they don't. They the society, the culture doesn't seem to grasp that it's it might be a disease, but they don't think of it as a disease. They think addiction is addiction, not disease. But it is totally a genetic thing and it's it's not religious issue it's not a character defect it is a birth genetic ordeal true and you're far more susceptible to it if you're shall shall we say german (laughs) (laughs) okay it's like you know it's Um, like the irish the english it's very that's why we're such a drunken country because you know we, we our roots are striving from there. I wouldn't know. My family never really drank. And you, on the other hand, have not really drank either. No, I don't really care for it. And that's that's what like we come from the same bloodline, so exactly. That's why I can't see. Do you so know what I mean? There's no heavy drinkers in in the family, or not a lot of. No. Of yours. No, I mean, aside from the normal, you know, a few of them went through their teenage phases, the college phases, but they always grew out of it. And um, I don't ever remember seeing my grandfather, you know, even my uncle, he went through his little phase, but he grew out of it as well. You know, they just get old and it's not appealing anymore. My grandfather would sit down every once in a while and have a beer, have a drink, and that was it. Like I never really witnessed a lot of people. Now my my stepfather's side of the family, you know, there's ones over there that drink every day. But even those, I wouldn't consider alcoholics because they're never drunk. Well, that that's interesting. And more more gray areas there. Very gray areas because and then my family, which is the same bloodline as your family, they are to the T alcoholics. Absolutely. And yeah, can't put weird. it down, and and that's why I was born. You know, they they that family said I was predetermined and destined to be a drunk. And uh, of course, that doesn't help either. You know, when you, when your family says, you know, oh, you'll be like us anytime now, anytime. Looking at their watch. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. And why then, would you tell a kid that? I know, and I remember my mother was very worried because you know she let me try it just like you let Diva try a little bit, to get her disgusted with it, and thankfully she was disgusted with it. But my mother let me try, and, you know, before that she was kind of concerned. She always said, you know, what if what if you're an alcoholic? <laughs> what if you have those genes? And what she didn't even know back then was that, well, you know, you're pretty much fucked. You've got the genes if you've got a family like that. You've, you know, yep. easily can be activated. So, And she felt that introducing a younger person to that 
would make them more susceptible. But really, I I would imagine, because it's not that I stopped drinking because I decided to stop drinking. It was because it didn't work for me anymore, as in, you know, I can't function. And I was starting to feel like, you know, death. But I'm sure that if I had stayed healthy and, and if alcohol was introduced at any time, I would have totally fell in love with it because I am an addict by nature all across the board. Food, nicotine, amphetamines, anything, caffeine, you know. It, it's yeah, all life, you know, air, life. I'm addicted to it all. Spotlight. Yeah, I just, I don't feel like the whole man, you know, it can run in families, but I guess I'm proof that it's not a mandatory you know, it's not a given. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hit and miss. You don't have to be. You you can have, you know, it's a mindset thing, too. And that's why it is a neurological. That's really odd, though. And it's a cool dynamic that we should probably look into later on as far as how that happened. Very true. I mean, you were the one that got to experience my grandfather's brother. And I don't know if he was a drinker or if he ever talked about his parents. So I don't know, but I think a lot of it has to do with your upbringing too and what you're around, what you're exposed to. That's true. I mean, they were in that, that's the family thing. You know, that's what you do is you drink and you get together at these functions and you drink. So if you grow up thinking that that's where you're going, you know, I'm sure that it's, it's almost as addictive as like possibly something really bad for you. Like, you know, if you, if you start shooting someone up with meth, they'd be addicted to it, whether they wanted to or not. Right. So I wonder if the repetitious involvement in alcohol in a family, in, a, in an atmosphere that, you know, you have to drink it and you have to drink it. You didn't want to at first. You didn't like it. But suddenly, you know, a couple months down the road, after 16 cases of beer and several vodkas... Well, yeah, like with anything, your body becomes accustomed to it, and it it forms an addiction, which is why you go through withdrawal when you stop. But, you know, how much of that addiction is mental and how much of that addiction is physical, it it goes both ways. You have to be able to control it, and you obviously have the ability to do that, you know, once you put your mind to it. Yes. Um, And that is where I think a lot of the difference lies. The true alcoholics are the ones that no matter what, you know, they, they need those meetings. They need to go every day to be reminded, you know, look, you can't do this or, to, you know, have somebody with them to make sure they don't do it. Right. You know, but you can control yourself and that, you know, I think that's where it, it makes a big difference. And I'd have to say that, you know, self-control, I, I don't like when people say they don't have any because I think everybody has self-control. They just have to find it. Yeah, but some people, you know, and and they can't help it. Some people's minds are just weak. I I suppose it's true. That's very true. I don't like it, but it's true. I mean, I'm sure somewhere inside of them they have the ability to overcome it, but do they have the support to do that or do they have, you know... I mean, you had a lot of exposure to things that a lot of kids in your shoes probably didn't, which helped you, you know? And some professionals do say that, you know, how you digest it is is the line between the drunk and the alcoholic, you know, because to alcoholics, alcohol is a stimulant, which is why it was so, so important for me was that I, you know, most people, 
they have a few drinks and they're puking all over the place. They're having a fit. They can't concentrate. They can't do anything. It, it kills them. It puts them to sleep. It but, gives me a headache. Exactly, yes, exactly. Headaches, everything. But for the alcoholic that I think of when I think alcoholic is, you know, I used it to make me who I needed to be. And it, it excited me and encouraged me and it, it stimulated me. And instead of having a few drinks and falling asleep, I had a few drinks and woke up instead. It was totally the opposite. But, but then, you know, the falling down drunk who can't stop drinking is also the alcoholic. So gray area, many different roads. But I look at it as those who are stimulated. But again, at the time, you have to think about the other things that were going on in your life that you weren't exactly probably dealing with. And, you know, you know what I'm getting at. Is yeah. the alcohol kind of masked that in order to let you open up that creativity now that there aren't so many influences and, and you know, and but, you've dealt with them. But would Life I have dealt different. with them without the alcohol is the question. And I would not think so. No, you wouldn't have. You know, not at that time. You was, weren't ready, obviously. Was, but and it was helpful. You know, it was. it's like the drug that the psychological legal drugs that they're supposed to prescribe to you to make you feel a certain way. And then eventually one day the, the you know, whole point. Without the you're, alcohol, you're, you're, you probably would have killed yourself. Probably. And, and I would never have been not shy and I never would have learned how to talk to people and I never would have, you know, been that fabulousness right away. And, you know, it's just like any medication. You use it to get over and out of something. You know, and why you need it, yes. You know, like mm. people who take it for depression, they, they stop taking it and they're supposed to feel better. They're supposed to be able to take off running. And that's that's same same level of alcohol. Yeah. And Lurkalot is in wildbenchat.com and she is addicted to ginger biscuits. What are ginger biscuits? Also an addiction. I believe it's a cookie. Oh, I bet they're really good for your stomach. Probably makes you feel all happy inside. Aside from being a cookie, the ginger. I hear that. Ginger, mm, ginger, are they like gingerbread cookies? I don't know. Maybe they're like those ginger snaps, you know, because in, in America we have ginger snaps, which I don't like. And they're yeah, like a hard cookie. Too. Yeah. We don't like 20 of them. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick is also in chat as well. Come into wildbunchchat.com if you're listening and you don't know where else to go. Like Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> that's right. We're here for but you. I got drunk as a skunk. And was totally functional. I was the one that, you know, no one ever knew. And, and I really believe that. Because that's, that's the, people joke that, you know, nobody, nobody thinks, everyone thinks they can function better, but nobody can. Well, a lot of people can function much better. Right. But those are the people, like I said, that I really believe it's, it's more underlying issues. You know, the alcohol isn't the problem. It's the other things. Mm. You dealt with the other problems. Now the alcohol isn't a necessity anymore. Now it's something that you can do socially and, and control it. True. You know, if you were still that way today, then yeah, maybe but I'd consider I, I you think somewhat there's of an always, alcoholic. I think there's always something that I could use it for, though. Because I, I, when I stopped drinking so much, it was making me ill, the drinking. And, you know, when I 
get down the road of, of being sober and having an issue, I would immediately try to drink again. You know, that was the answer. And that physically did not work for me anymore. So I didn't have really a choice. It's kind of like, you know, taking pain pills and suddenly they're not working for you or they're making you sick. You have to deal with the pain a different way. Yeah. yeah and But I don't, to... I don't know. I, I mean, I can agree that it made me and it helped me a better, be a better person and, and be fabulous. But I think I was still just as haunted during being drunk by all of my problems as I was sober. I mean, people, because that's the thing, people drink to forget. I didn't drink to forget. I, I couldn't forget. It just changed my metabolism and my thought patterns and maybe it just opened up confront the creative. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's see. Well, and that's, that was the point at the time. That's what I mean. You, I, that's what I said. You never drank to really cover up the problems. You drank more to just put them to the side and bring out that creativity that the problems are stifling because I know how stifling stress can be Indeed. to your creativity. It can be very stifling and oh, it's, it's terrible. And But I guess that is the good thing about ginger cookies is that you just eat neat because you can't feel sick because the ginger helps and then you just eat <laughs> according, according to You'll get sick lab. and you just won't know it. <laughs> you won't get nauseous. You'll just throw up. Exactly. <laughs> And Jeannie has just entered the chat room as she is running the Rainbow Mix radio stream tonight. Thank you, Jeannie. You're doing a fabulous Hi, job. But as we just found out also, Amy Winehouse died from alcohol. Poor Instead Amy. Of actually what they thought of, and you know, <laughs> there's the point right there as well. She didn't die from all those illegal drugs she used. It was the legal drug that killed her. Yeah, I don't understand why alcohol is so legal. I don't either, because it just, you know, that's the thing with, as, as they say with, with marijuana, you don't seem to overdo it. You know, you, you take as much as you need, it would seem, from what I've heard. I mean, you don't overdose on marijuana. No, I've never heard of anyone ODing on pot. I mean, unless it's been laced with something, but just regular pot no i don't think it's possible i think i read somewhere that you have to literally smoke an ounce in like an hour or some shit like that yeah. to be able to od a pound and plus you pound you'd get me, so my... uh, okay yeah you get yeah, so there's high. N well yeah well not really though i mean you smoke so much and then there's a certain point where you just don't get any higher and it's like what's the fucking point right. of keep smoking it Right. Plus, you know, your lungs, and it's not physically possible to smoke as much. Now, I have heard that it is possible to OD on it if you, like, were to eat it or ingest it that right. way and cook it incorrectly. Right. Well, and, and that makes sense because, I mean, what we're putting in is not affecting us right away. So if you just right. scarf a bunch of marijuana muffins and, right. and wait 10 minutes, it might kill you. Well, yeah, it'll it'll definitely have a different effect. I mean, when you're cooking it, it's you know making it more potent and yeah. Nick met Amy Winehouse last year. Oh my god! Lucky, of course he did. He meets lucky, everybody. Lucky sob to quote Lurk a lot. Absolutely, that's 
I want to go to England and just follow Nick around so I can meet all the famous people that he meets. Exactly. He gets out. He knows the people. <laughs> but, he uh, does. Him and Dan. Exactly. Where is Dan? Thank you. Where is Dan? And where's Ismi? Where is Ismi? <laughs> Doesn't Good anyone God. get the postcard? I mean, we've been on Sunday night for the last forever. Put it on I your guess calendar. Not. I mean, Jesus. Jody too. Jody She's too. been missing. Yes. But oh. alcohol, and that brings up the perfect thing about Amy Winehouse, is that alcohol is a lobby system, just like cigarettes. Just because it's on the shelf to buy does not mean that it's good for you. It's just a well, product for profit. You just, I don't know what people, why? They have to think that if they're being sold it, they can eat or ingest or whatever as much as they want. That seems to be the, the common knowledge of anything that's being sold. Since it's there, I can have as much as I'd want of it. It's population control. Well, the, there you have it again with that, yes. They're killing us slowly. Indeed. But, you know, and you can't just have one. But then, then they laugh at you and they make that their slogan. You can't just have one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> try. Go ahead, try. And then you don't. Then you eat it. And then you eat with the whole bag of chips. Or you're sitting there with the entire box of ginger cookies. I actually can eat just one chip, and I do it quite often. Actually, that is one thing that I can eat just one of. And I do it, first I did it in defiance, but now I can eat it. Because everyone would say, you can't just eat one. I'm like, oh yeah? <gasps> Fuck you. Uh, I'm going to eat so just one. That's why I did it the first time, too. Like, fuck this. I'm going to prove you fuckers wrong. But now it is. It's kind of like, uh, you just want a little bit of salt. Go grab a chip. You're good. Exactly. So, you know, Amy did not die of a character defect. It is an addiction. It is genetic. It is directly connected to everything that we eat and that we drink and that we smoke out of addiction. Because we cannot just have one. Mm-hmm. We, we are fucked up people, quite frankly. And alcohol can be a food addiction because, you know, of course you can connect it with foodism and, and overeating. You, you crave food just like you crave alcohol. It's just a different version of food because what's in your alcohol, unless it's, you know, just alcohol, it's refined white sugar. It's sugar. There's sugar and grapes, in there. Grapes. Other fruits. And fruits. Other grains. And then they've got, you know, schnapps. Instead of, you know, you... you you drank the vodka or the whiskey in the little glass because that's all you needed, and that was just a little bit. But then, then they made schnapps for people, which is actually a Dennis Leary joke that will be played later in the show. But it's so true that give yeah. them, you know, make it that doesn't taste like alcohol, but still kills you like alcohol. Great idea. Exactly. It is a good idea. Why not? <laughs> Well, they apparently That's why I don't was, drink yeah. alcohol. It tastes nasty. And but to me, even that kind of shit tastes nasty. I can still taste the alcohol. Yeah. I have yet to have a drink. Yeah. Like, I've had so many people hand me drinks and be like, taste this. You won't even taste the alcohol. As soon as I take a sip, I'm like, oh, my God, you are so fucked up. Like, you knew I would taste the alcohol. <laughs> well, and they're like, what are you talking about? I can't taste. I could taste the alcohol. I don't know. It's just, ugh. And that's actually been a very good... Um, green light to show someone who doesn't know anything about alcohol is when they tell you that they think it doesn't taste like alcohol. Because like vodka, when I was a teenager, 
a lot of old people used to say, oh, you drink that because it doesn't taste like alcohol. Hi. Have you ever tasted vodka before? Right? Like, what the fuck does it taste like if not alcohol? And, and then it finally dawned on me, that person must never have tasted vodka before. They just have heard. Because, you know, that's what they say. They put in date rape drinks and shit. Back in the day, before date rape drugs, they just put vodka in the girl's drink. It's like, no, oh no you'd pretty much know if you were drinking vodka. I mean, I know when I'm drinking lighter fluid. It's very obvious. Oh, I know. I know a lot of people who used to drink vodka so they, they swore it wouldn't make their breath smell. Like alcohol. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, um, are you kidding me? Like, I can smell you from across the room. Exactly. That's very strange. I mean, you it can put it in a little, you know, there's a little bit of it can be put in something where you won't taste it. It's not as obvious as some things, depending on the vodka and depending on what you're putting it in. I mean, if it's like, you know, yeah, this molasses sugary, you know, anything from Ocean Spray, <laughs> you can put vodka in there. That sweet ass taste will cover up anything. Yeah, Kool-Aid. Exactly. <laughs> But and, and I, I keep seeing this one that they keep buying called Date Rape Vodka, which I, I'm yeah. tempted to buy it, which I'm, I can't believe they sell something called Date Rape Vodka, first of all, in this kind of country where they, you know, save the children. But I just, I'm curious, is that why people think vodka doesn't taste like vodka? Is it because that Date Rape Vodka doesn't taste like it and you can get her hammered quicker? I don't understand, but I have yet Maybe to taste it. Maybe it already has a roofie in it. Could have. Which would be, you know, very, very explanatory there of the of the name. But I don't know. I've never tasted a vodka yet, and I have went pretty high on the vodka ladder. I have not tasted one that doesn't taste like vodka yet, which is unfortunate. Yeah, me either. I don't like vodka, because vodka was the alcoholic beverage for me while I was an alcoholic, or so I say. Definitely, it's all about the vodka. And a vodka is made of potatoes and... Calories, calories, and you drink vodka in sweet things. So I did, I, and I did the math, and I totally knew this for years, that if I stopped drinking, I would remove like 2,000 calories per day out of my diet. And once mm -hmm. I started exercising and I was still drinking, I was trying better to balance my food calories and my alcohol calories. And then you get to the point where you realize... You know, okay, I can have 2,000 calories, so let me have this piece of bread for my entire meal, for the entire day, and the rest will have to be alcohol, because that's all the calories right there. I mean, Jenny Craig would have a fit with, I don't know how many points or stars go into alcohol, but I'm sure it's a lot. If you drink light alcohol. Or if you drink bourbon, or just alcohol, and that's the thing, that, that most... The, the people who are gaining so much weight are drinking the caloric alcohols, the beers and the, the fruity, foofy, foofy drinks that have, you know, a shot of alcohol and then the rest of the drink is foofy, foofy. Yeah. And that foofy, foofy will add the foofy to your foofy. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> There's you... always the skinny girl option. Yes, true. And what would that be for people listening? I don't know. Oh, okay. I, I hear they're pretty good, though. Oh, is that a drink? It's like low-calorie alcoholic oh, mixer. Oh. Yeah, yeah um, I can see how that would be. It's by one of those housewives. Oh, the desperate ones? Uh, No, the um, 
the New York ones. Bethany Frankel. Oh, okay. In fact, Whole, Whole Foods just decided to like take it off their markets be, or off their shelves because of I don't know some preservative that she uses, which is I don't know, wasn't even a big deal. And she was like, "Fuck you, Whole Foods. I don't even care." Exactly. And Nick in the chat, he is definitely you know an alcoholic or just you know a lover of alcohol, whichever way you want to put it. But yeah, see, Nick Nick's an alcoholic. <laughs> but he came here to America and he put on a whole stone, which is like. A lot of pounds. That's that's a big amount of American pounds right there. One stone in their terms is like, I don't know, I think it's like 10 some, 10 or so, 5 or so. It's, yeah, it's quite well, a few pounds. And he put on that just by is. eating the food. So imagine, you know, you, you eat our food and then you drink like a fish. Just the calories. Are all fucking of, fat. Out of this world. Totally. No, but seriously, Nick, you would gain that much if you eat all of it in two weeks' time. Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was sampling a little bit of everything. Well, well, he was trying to get it all in. When you, you know, you've got two weeks and you're like, well, okay, chilies for lunch, in and out for dinner. Uh, right. And what's the um, TGI Fridays for our midnight snack? And then I've got to try this Taco Bell 2 a.m. deal. Because <laughs> <laughs> they've customized it that you, you, the third meal, or no, the fourth meal. That's what they call it, the fourth meal. Because everybody needs it's a fourth meal. It's just after last call. Yeah, quite quite ironically, but and, and this is kind of sidelining into an unhealthy suggestion. But if you're you know on a diet, uh, you know losing weight, refining your foods to be better foods, and that because that was the problem I ran into was how how do I customize my drinking habit with my new eating lifestyle of eating better? You should drink bourbon. Bourbon is the key. Switch to bourbon. <laughs> It's not, mm. that's not the best suggestion you'll ever get. But I mean, if you're going to stay an alcoholic, quit drinking the um, sex on the beaches and other such foofy foofy. Bourbon on the rocks. Yes, just bourbon. And on the rocks is even better because then you got a little water in there. <laughs> yes, there you go. Keeps you hydrated. Absolutely. In Vegas, he was drinking slushy vodkas all day. Mm-hmm. See, now that sounds good. The slushy vodka. Yeah, that, that does sound good. And that's, you know, because you've got your fruity and your sweet and your icy and your vodka. Yeah. And the big I think tall, I could deal with those. The big, tall Eiffel Tower cup. Yum. <laughs> yes. So I hope people can see the connection between food and alcohol. Why you might be addicted. Because I, I think I was addicted to the, you know, the calories, too. Of that, just well, like I was addicted to food, I was addicted to alcohol because it filled me. It, it did that. That was one thing I always hated about alcohol was that it gave me munchies. Yeah, and that's the other thing. <laughs> and not for good things. Like, you know, I'd want that burger with a big greasy pile of fries and, you know, smothered in cheese. And that is the defense of why I was so in control was because I'd come home. And I'd have the, you know, what do I always say? Chicken parmesan with macaroni salad and corn. And, and, and you know, then I'd start drinking. And two hours later, it was either, okay, I'm going to fall down drunk, or I could have some chicken nuggets. <laughs> Let's have See? some chicken nuggets. And then on the weekend, <laughs> when you've got to stay up until four in the morning drinking, you're like, hey, well, let's have a pizza, you know. 
you just gotta <laughs> keep eating because that helps but it yeah, also continues to just kill you yeah so there you end up killing yourself both ways two ways exactly so i really had it bad both ways i was addicted to the caloric food and the caloric alcohol and taking them both away it just leaves you crying but you're a better person for it I am a better person for it. A lot skinnier, too. Yes, much skinnier. Once you get on that right eating habit and right drinking habit, because really I don't have the, definitely the sweet drinks, very bad. Stick to the bourbon, beer is okay, as long as you know. I mean, some of these people, and that is the American dream, is you come home and you have like half a case of beer. That's all they drink. The time yeah. home. It's like can after can. And I know most people, most average working Americans, they come home from their work day and pop the beer just like you'd pop your soda. And it would be pretty much, you know, three beers before dinner, one with dinner, probably two more after. And then you should pass. Add that. Yeah. I mean, how much? Because one beer is like a meal, practically. A meal for crazy. me. crazy. You know? He needs protein drinks. Exactly, and that's the th if you're if you are you know looking for some calories, beer is very good for you because it's like you know it's got actual stuff in there the the wheat the the rye. The <laughs> well, it's actually it's not like bad bread. for you regardless. Okay. I mean, it's good for your your heart from yeah, what I hear. So it is, is wine, good. But and so is wine. Like but one a day. Yes, you know, and that's the thing. It's really weird how enjoyable, and this is. You know, old me is just rolling over in her grave right now because it's so enjoyable to drink just a glass of wine after or di during dinner and then having that buzz and then not drinking anymore. If I said that to old me, old me would shoot new me. <laughs> <laughs> it had no idea that that you could actually, you know... Because the trend is you start drinking and you follow yourself to bed with drinking. You don't stop. You don't sober up. You don't get better. You just sure. continue on until pass out. And you wake up. And that's the other part of why I had to stop. Because you wake up and you don't feel too bad. I used to never have hangovers. And now I get these deathly uh, death rattles. <laughs> It's just terrible. You wake up and you can't function. Yeah, that's because your body's not used to it anymore. And once you realize you can't drive like that or work like that, it kind of gets in the way. Yeah, I think the turning point for me was having kids. Yeah. After that, it just, I mean, I could drink before. I never liked the taste, ever. Like the buzz. Didn't like the hangovers, which I would get about 50% of the time. Mm. But after kids, it's just, I don't know. Well, and, and you have to be in control. It it's not very easy to raise children. Just made me Lotto. sick. Yeah. Like, had a totally different effect on me. So, just don't do it. Exactly. So, it's not often. <laughs> just every now and then, in moderation. Yeah, like once a year. And every time I do, I'm like, this is why I don't drink. Yeah. Now I remember why I don't drink. Why did I drink that? 
It's definitely why I don't drink on an empty stomach anymore. I've got to be like halfway through dinner before I begin any drink. Yeah. If it's just even going to be one drink, anything beforehand, it could mean tragedy. <laughs> to, de- to define, alcoholism is generally used to mean cons- compulsive and uncontrolled consumption of alcoholic beverages. What makes that any different from any other addiction we have? We don't know. Can it be treated? Apparently it can be treated medically. But they just don't want to tell you that. You know, there are some drugs that will, just like with any other addiction, kind of talk you down off the ledge Hmm. to help you through that. But they don't want you to do that. Society recommends a meeting. And, you know, I mean, take a step back and look at how they treat any addiction it's always with this damn meeting and they cling, just like you were saying with, with the food meeting now that they have food meetings and that mm. would only make me hungry. Can you? Oh, no. I think it would make anyone hungry and if I was a food addict and, and you know, would you stand on the podium and say, oh, I'm really, I really want a rotisserie chicken right now and then everyone's like, oh yeah, rotisserie chicken. I don't think that's something you talk out. I don't think I could handle the, the what I imagine would be the smell associated with a room full of what would probably be oh very obese people. It could be a little. It depends on the obese persons. Wow. If they're showing up at their most desperate, yeah, that's probably not good. A lot of them just can't seem to help it. True. You do have to have a certain amount of, of awareness when you're a large person. And I can say this as well since I was a large person. You just have to know. Yeah. And and it takes a little bit more cleanliness. I have a very sensitive nose. Mm. Like super sensitive nose. So That does not help whatsoever. No, it doesn't. Because I tend to smell things that other people don't at times. Oh, my. And aside from the meetings, then they want you to look to your God, cling to your faith, go to the meetings and cling to your faith. Yeah, because God's going to make you better. Exactly. Well, and it's akin to saying, just get over it for God's sake. What's the big deal? Just get over it. That's all they, that's how I see it. That's what they're looking at. That's what they're telling people. Get over it. Mm, That's what they say about all the mental shit, too. It's in your head. Get over it. In your head. But I'm sorry, when I'm shaking on the kitchen floor in a cold sweat, because I went cold turkey from alcohol, you know, don't tell me it's not a disease or to be medically not taken seriously. And when people can die, they can die. You know, an alcoholic who lives on alcohol, just like any, anybody else who lives on an opiate or something, you remove that cold turkey, they could die. Yeah. If they could die, a meeting is not should not be the first line of defense. Well, it usually isn't, I don't think. I don't know. I, I, mean, I just don't hear many alcoholics saying, I went to the doctor, I'm looking for help, you know, he gave me prescriptions. I don't hear that. I hear that, you know, they, they told me to wean myself off with my own self-control and then go into these meetings, get help. Get I guess support. it depends because... I think out here, the way it works is a lot of times you end up getting in trouble. You know, you have to go through the whole court system. Right. They require like detox or rehab and then they go to the 12-step program. Which is the problem is that they don't know beforehand 
No one, no one is offering anything because that is the culturally, the view of, of our culture is that that's what's available. I mean, nobody's giving you a pamphlet saying there are other ways to get sober and, you know, please do so before you get arrested. They get arrested first and then they have no. to go through the steps and the, the, the courses and, and the treatment. But, but they're notorious at hiding it too. So it's not like, you know... Yes. People are just running around screaming, I'm an alcoholic, can I have help? Right, and it is right. something to be terribly embarrassed by if you'd listen to society. And, and no one thinks they're an alcoholic and, and all this stuff. But True. I think that it, the disease should be treated a little more seriously than those 12 steps, which is exactly where we're going, right into Alcoholics Anonymous tonight on the Fabulous D Show. And yay. we will... <laughs> yay! <laughs> Hello. Uh, as Nick just said, my name is Nick, and I'm a wankaholic. I beat off at least four times a day. <laughs> Please, God, stop me jacking off. My wrist is in tatters. Yes. Mm. Oh, such a comedian. We enjoy him. So we've got to take a moment, and then we will be back to discuss the 12 steps that will save your life, or so they say right after these marvelous, fabulous words from our sponsors on the Fabulous D Show, unearthing the underground, one cultist at a time, in your corrupt culture. The Artist D. Stay tuned. You're listening live to Wild Bunch Radio, home of the illegal turkey sandwich. I don't know what that means. Want more commentary and Easter eggs throughout the week? Fuck the Easter Bunny. Sign up for the Diva newsletter at theartistd.com. Some say superstar, others say oh 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 my. Go to www.wildbunchradio.com to donate now. This is Becky Cannon, so you listen to the Fabulous D Show. This is Campus Christmas, and it's Madison Box of Frogs. And don't forget to sign up on Transtastic.com, the most fabulous transcended social network site in the world. Ah, oh, my favorite subject. <laughs> I think a man can keep on drinking for a century. He'll never die. Especially wine and beer. But I met too many young people, especially when I was working for Open City, just smoking marijuana within a two-year period, who were intelligent at first, and after two years of marijuana, they just came around, they go, Hey, hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm going to be the, one of the first to say that marijuana is very ultimately destructive. And then finally, there'll be government studies to prove that it's totally harmful, much more harmful than it's ever been exposed to have been. 
because I've seen it through people. They just end up, hey, hey. And I don't like that. I like drunkards, man, because drunkards, they come out of it and they're sick and they spring back, they spring back and forth. But even the light drug freaks, they're just, okay, okay. It's like all mind circulation, all spirit has been cut off. I met good old alcoholics, you know, this old guy Jim, in the, I, guess, I don't know if he's in, yeah, yeah he's in, he was a great old guy, he got drunk every night. But his face was human, you know, he talked, he'd say, well, Hank, he'd talk a definite language. These other, you know, these kids, yeah. there's, uh, so, yeah, I'm anti-drugs, put me down. It's a very, very lousy way to go. Trans Living International, supporting the TG community since 1980. My name is Sophie Novak, and my website is www.trandliving.co.uk. Trans Living International exists to provide support and information on all aspects of cross-dressing and transgendered lifestyle. On the homepage of our website, you can sign up to our forum, and you do need to be very specific in the area that says, tell us your TG interest. You can say, I heard safety on the radio, and that will get you in. Also, you can email me at safety at transliving.co.uk. All the information is on the website. Transliving Magazine is the world's largest transgendered lifestyle magazine. And of course, if you would like to buy the magazine in America, it's www.maginc, so that's dot com, or you can call Mark toll free on 800-359-2116, and that gets you a copy of the magazine. Transliving is published three times a year, every 1st of April, August, and December. Find out more about Trans Living International and Trans Living Magazine at www.transliving.co.uk. You are listening to Rainbow Mix Radio, where all the good songs have gone. This is the station you've been waiting for all your life because not anywhere can you hear what you want to hear when you want to hear it. Because we play the greatest mix of your favorite kind of music from yesterday's classics to today's biggest hits and everything in between. We play the best music your mind has ever tasted. Rainbow Mix Radio, where all the good songs have gone. And thank you for listening. I had had my boobs glued on all weekend. <laughs> Not strange to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to Zoe's Bits and Pieces every Saturday night at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. She's got some enormous hits. Hits. I said hits. <laughs> Ha 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 ha!
<laughs> oh my God. What is this? Out back with Benny Hill. Five, four, three, two. Welcome back to the Ronnie Rose Show. Sit, sit. We got a very special guest today. Well, 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 welcome back to the Ronnie Rose Show. We've got a very special guest with us today. She's a big part of the Summer Journal Blank. Your name? Oh my God. I'm not telling you. It's our Mr. Obvious show. <laughs> I just love interviewing people. I love talking to people a lot like you do. Am I boring it? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ronnie. It's good being with you. Visit RonnieRow.com for more. As you know, it's, it's very fashionable now. Hold alternative with the poor lifter. Gå til vilbønnsradio.com og donere. So I'm looking his balls. Next thing I know, he comes in my eye and he's out the door. Gone. You ever get cum in your eye, Gabriel, hmm? It burns. Our artist D is fabulous. Now back to the fabulous D show on Wild Bunch Radio. Ooh. And we're back on the Fabulous D Show. I'm the artist D. That's who they were just talking about. With Vanilla Child. With you. Having a lovely time, as usual, in wildbunchchat.com. Nick is uh, apparently sanding some hood. And shaving his beard to look like Captain Jack Sparrow. Arr. Arr. <laughs> and we're... Entering Alcoholics Anonymous tonight on the Fabulous D Show. So, if you ever needed a meeting, this is the meeting for you. Oi. Oi. As because as, as you may may get the impression, we might not be supporting this uh, particular way to cure thyself of alcohol addiction. I've yes, got some better so ideas enthused. for you. Yes. <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous makes it very clear at the beginning of almost all of its literature that they are, they are doing the following, and that they are the following. A fellowship of, it sounds like church already, a fellowship mm -hmm. of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other, that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is desire to stop drinking. There are no dues. There are no fees. They are a self-supporting group through their own contributions. That means once you join, you should put some money in the little barrel at the front door. Oh, oh, it sounded like church again. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Could have fooled me. Does not <laughs> wish to engage in any controversy neither endorse or oppose causes. And yet, we're here on the Fabulous D Show to talk about this controversial method. But please remember that one as we go forward. Their primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics stay sober and achieve sobriety. As we all know, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, is a very large group with many meetings and groups in all places. I'm sure everyone who is within the sound of my voice, has heard of it, knows of a meeting, knows of an alcoholic, knows of someone who is bound to the Society of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're down and out, wanting to get off the bottle, they promise a solution for doing so. All you have to do is go to a meeting and try, try 
Try. We're going to go over the steps. Hmm. Because this just, I love it. I love it that they say, we are not a religious organization. And now here we go. <laughs> step, step one. Because I thought it, this was going to be hard. I thought, you know, surely people are just pulling my leg. That, you know, I'd open the book, the 12-step big book. They call it the big book. Oh, gee. There's another little What is it, like 12 pages? There. No, actually, it's very lengthy. And I read the whole thing. So anybody listening who wants to get in a fight over this with me, I read this. I don't think my view is is slanted in any any way. But I thought it would be hard to find God stuff in here because they swear they're not religious. But just open the freaking book. Step one, very simple. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Pretty self-explanatory. Safe enough. You admit it. You're out of control. You need help. Got it. That chapter, that was okay. Nothing wrong with that chapter. Step two, however, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. A power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity. You cannot restore yourself to sanity. A power can. The power. The power. Go ahead. So (laughs) alcoholics are insane? One would believe so, reading that first statement, yes. Or that second statement. Nice assumption. I know. Okay. So they are insane, and they cannot cure their insanity. So they're right there. It is not saying it is a physical disease. It is saying it is definitely a neurological disease, and you are indeed insane. Well, and if they can't cure it, well, then what's the point of going on any further? Stop right there. There's only two steps. Exactly. Admit it, and you can't do shit. Exactly. So now we're well, because don't they say once a alcoholic, always an alcoholic? Oh, absolutely. You'll always be. So you'll always be insane. You're just kind of what I don't know, masking your insanity by going to a meeting every day. Doesn't seem much like fun. It's true, and that's why people who joke about this say, you know, just a meeting every Tuesday. Oh no, oh no, alcoholics. I know alcoholics. They go like every day. I know that's this insane. one. This one guy. He went every morning. Before he started his day, he'd stop in at a meeting and get his inspiration for the day. It was horrible. Good God. I should first say, we're not going to read this entire book, because it is, you wouldn't believe it's long, but it's long. However, chapter two is just so full of shit that I have to read it. At least most of it. Because they give, they don't really, you know, there's no list. There's no list saying the 12 steps are. You have to actually go into the book and kind of they've quoted in italics the whole idea of the step. But really, they want you to read like seven pages per step to understand their meaning, which is supposed to move you apparently into, you know, recovery. Step two, chapter two. The moment they read step two, most AA newcomers are confronted with a dilemma, sometimes a serious one. How often have we heard them cry out, Look what you people have done to us. You have convinced us that we are alcoholics 
and that our lives are unmanageable, having reduced us to a state of absolute helplessness. You now declare that none, of, none but a higher power can remove our obsession. Some of us won't believe in God. Others can't. And still others who do believe that God exists have no faith whatever. He will perform this miracle. Yes, you've got us over the barrel, all right. But where do we go from here? And I like how it says you some won't believe in God. They don't ever say people don't believe in God. Which is more of a statement of, of me. You know, I don't believe in God. They're saying that people who don't believe in God won't believe in God. Which is a total grammatical, interesting, psychological mm-hmm. statement. Because they're, they're not saying that I have a choice of not believing. I'm saying that I don't want to, basically. Let's look first at the case of the one who says he won't believe. The belligerent one. So now if you don't believe, you're belligerent. He is in a state of mind which can be described only as savage. Okay, so now I am belligerent and savage. And insane. And insane. His whole and uncurable. Ph- and uncurable. His whole philosophy of life is which he so glorified is threatened. Yes, you're threatening my life, absolutely. It's bad enough, he thinks, to admit alcohol has him down for keeps. But now, still smarting from that admission, he is faced with something really impossible. How he does cherish the thought that man, risen so majestically from a single cell in the primordial ooze, I hate when they go there, is the spearhead of evolution, and therefore the only god that his universe knows. Must he renounce all this to save himself? Why, yes, I do believe that's what they're telling us. At this juncture, his AA sponsor usually laughs. I'm not kidding. That's what he says. So now your sponsor laughs at you. This, the newcomer thinks, is about the last straw. This is the beginning of the end. And so it is. The beginning of the end of his old life. And the beginning of his emergence into a new one. His sponsor probably says, Take it easy. The hoop you have to jump through is a lot wider than you think. At least I've found it so. So did a friend of mine, who was the one-time vice president of the American Atheist Society. But he got through it with room to spare. Let's see, so you, you throw in an atheist in there. Which is, are they saying that, you know, the atheist was converted along the way? Or, you know, I like how it says, a one-time vice president of the American Atheist Society, implying to anyone reading that, you know, he stepped down and became a Christian. (laughs) At least in my mind. Well, says the newcomer, I know you're telling me the truth. Really? Is that what the newcomer says? Usually I think (laughs) the newcomer's response would be, fuck you! It's no doubt a fact that AA is full of people who once believed as I do, once believed as I do. But just how, in these circumstances, does a fellow take it easy that's what I want to know. That was still quoting the alleged newcomer. That, agrees the sponsor, is a very good question indeed. I think I can tell you exactly how to relax. Oh, you got to relax. <laughs> you won't have to work at it very hard, either. Listen, if you will, to these three statements. First, Alcoholics Anonymous does not demand that you believe anything. Well... All of its 12 steps are but suggestions. Second, to get sober and to stay sober, you don't have to swallow all of, two, all of step two right now. 
You can deal with this later. Looking back, I find that I took it piecemeal myself. Third, all you really need is a truly open mind. Just rain from the debating society and quit bothering yourself with such deep questions as whether it was the hen or the egg that came first. Just knock it off. Again, I say all you need is to open your mind. The sponsor continues. Take, for example, my own case. I had a scientific schooling. Naturally, I respected, venerated, even worshipped science. As a matter of fact, I still do. All except the worship part. Time after time, my instructions held up to me the basic principle of all scientific progress. Search and research. Again and again. Always with the open mind. When I first looked at AA, my reaction was just like yours. This AA business, I thought, is totally unscientific. This I can't swallow. I simply won't consider such nonsense. Then I woke up. I had to admit that AA showed results, prodigious results. I saw that my attitude regarding these had been anything but scientific. It wasn't AA that had closed my mind. It was me. (laughs) The minute I stopped (laughs) arguing, I could begin to see and feel right there. Step two, gently and very gradually began to infiltrate my life. I can't say upon the occasion or upon that day I came to believe in a power greater than myself, but I certainly have that belief now. To acquire it, I had only to stop fighting and practice the rest of AA's program as enthusiastically as I could. Just just let it go. Stop fighting. I love it. <laughs> this is only one man's opinion based on his own experience, of course. I must quickly assure you that AA's trend, or no, AA's tread innumerable paths to their quest for faith. If you don't care for the one I've suggested... Perhaps you'll discover another one. (laughs) So if you don't believe in God, perhaps you believe in Buddha or something else with like arms, like lots of arms and stuff and that chick in the water or a mermaid or, you know, that's what it's saying. Whatever you, you know, if you don't believe in anything, surely you'll find something to believe in to hang your addiction on here. You can, if you wish, make AA itself your higher power. Oh, so if you can't find anything else, make AA God. (laughs) Perfect. The Church of AA. The Church of AA. In this respect, they are certainly a power greater than you who have not even come close to a solution. Surely, surely you can have faith in them. This is great. Remember, they're not a religious society, an organization at all. At all. You don't have to believe in God. Oh, just believe in AA. Exactly. Consider next the plight of those who once had faith but have lost it. There will be those who have drifted into indifference, those who filled with self-sufficiency, who have cut themselves off, those who have become prejudiced against religion, and those who are downright defiant because God has failed to fulfill their demands. Sometimes AA comes harder to those who have lost or rejected faith, than to those who have never had faith to begin with. But all in all, you end up having faith in AA, basically. Ah, and so on it goes. Let's see. Another crowd of AA says, We were plumb disgusted with religion and all its works. The Bible, we said, was full of nonsense. We could cite it chapter and verse, and we couldn't see the Beatitudes for the begats. 
In spots, its morality was impossibly good. In others, it seemed impossibly bad. But it was the morality of the religionists themselves that really got us down. We gloated over the hypocrisy, the bigotry, the crushing self-righteousness that clung to so many believers, even in their Sunday best. How we loved to shout the damaging fact that millions of good men of religion were still killing one another in the name of God. After we came to AA, we had recognized this is the perfect commercial. <laughs> you know, you see the guy in church who hates each other, and it's this dark photo, and now, you know, sunlight. But after we came to AA, we had to recognize that this trait had been an ego-feeding proposition. In belaboring the sins of some religious people, we could feel superior to all of them. Moreover, we could avoid looking at some of our own shortcomings. Self-righteousness, the very thing that we had contemptuously condemned in others, was our own besetting evil. And on and on. Believe in God. Believe in God. Step two is the rallying point for all of us, whether agnostic, atheist, or former believer. We can stand together on this step. True humility and an open mind can lead us to faith. And every AA, get, every AA meeting is an assurance that God will restore us to sanity if we rightly relate ourselves to Him. <laughs> it's just, I've never, in the same sentence, seemed such a turnabout, you know? It doesn't matter if you're agnostic or atheist. You will be comforted by the fact that God will restore your sanity and relate rightly to Him. If you're an atheist, well, that makes no sense. <laughs> Not much of it does. How can they? I don't know. I don't know how they even go there at all. But we are belligerent. We are crazy. We are. We are nuts. And that's that is step two. Step Oy. three. Step three. Made a, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. The as, and the as we understood him is underlined for the atheists, you know. It's, it's not, you know, you don't have to be God. It has to be God as you understand him. But you still have to call him God. So remember, this is not religious cult or anything religious at all. At all. The first two paragraphs of step three say it all. Practicing step three is like opening of a door, which to all appearance is still closed and locked. All we need is a key, the decision to swing the door open. There is only one key, and it's called willingness. Once unlocked by willingness, the door opens almost to itself. And looking through it, we shall see a pathway, besides which an inscription is there. It reads, this is the way to faith that works. <laughs> In the first two steps, we are engaged in reflection. We saw that we were powerless over alcohol. But we also perceived that faith, of some kind, if only in AA itself, is possible to anyone. Anyone. These conclusions did not require action. They required only acceptance. Like all the remaining steps, step three calls for affirmative action. For it is only by action that we can cut away the self-will, which has always blocked the entry of God. I see. Self-will blocks the entry of God. Because if you use, you know, if you use your brain, the brain in your head, it will block God, basically. Or if you prefer a higher power into our lives. Faith, to be sure, is necessary, but faith alone can avail nothing. We can have faith, 
yet keep God out of our lives. Therefore, our problem now becomes just how and by what specific means shall we be able to let him in. Step three represents our first attempt to do this. And I caught something here is that throughout this book, when it's not telling you that you need God or him or your higher power, it's telling you that all you need is faith. But right here in this paragraph, it tells you that faith alone will not do it. You need God. What's the matter with these people? I don't know. Everybody needs God. You need God. Apparently. And apparently most of these people who go to these are, you know, believers. But, mm. Mm, yes, they're going crazy in wildbunchchat.com. Uh, yeah, I've been, I've never heard of, I've been going to Catholic church, what, since I was born? And they've never used real wine. Yeah, out here they do. They do use real wine. Really? Yeah. Well, it's still, they're, you're getting, what, a sip? Exactly, a sip. A sip and a cracker. It's. Yeah. And not only that, lots of people actually don't even take the wine. They just take the cracker. Oh, yeah, out here, from what I've recently discovered, they don't do the wine. They don't eat, I mean, they just get the cracker. The priest gets the wine. All of yeah. it. And he drinks all of it. I've noticed. <laughs> like the whole glass, he chugs it. I've seen that. Yeah. Cause, well, like, you know, during the, the ceremony, he drinks a sip, you know, when he's all singing and shit. But then when he finishes up, he has to, you know, he pounds that. Bottoms up, literally. And then he has to clean it out and give it to the little <laughs> altar boy. And he, you know, laughs a little. <laughs> <sighs> Step four. Uh. Well, that's another thing, though. Yeah. Come on, think about that. You're at church. A lot of these priests drink all the time. Oh, yeah. God God needs to save them. If only. And, and you I think, really don't think God condones drinking. With all the faith that those guys have and belief in God, you'd think they were the ones who would be the most non-alcoholic. Yeah, you'd think. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Creation gave us instincts for a purpose. Creation. Without them, we wouldn't be complete human beings. See, it, it, it has a good agnostic, atheist start to it. It just calls it creation, which an atheist can go with. If men and women didn't exert themselves to be secure in their persons, made no effort to harvest food or construct shelter, there would be no survival. If they didn't reproduce, the earth wouldn't be populated. If there were no social instinct, if men cared nothing for society or one another, there would be no society. I kind of have a problem with comparing basic survival skills with that of your care of having a society. I don't put the two together necessarily. So these desires for the sex relation, for material and emotional security, and for companionship are perfectly necessary and right and surely God-given. Ah, oh, damn. There we go again. We were doing so well. We started with creation, and now we're back to God-given. Yet these instincts, so necessary for our existence, often far exceed their proper functions. Powerfully, blindly, many times subtly, they drive us, dominate us, and insist upon ruling our lives. Our desires for sex, for material and emotional security, and for an important place in society often tyrannize us when thus out of joint 
man's natural desires cause him great trouble. Practically all the trouble there is. No human being, however good, is exempt from trouble. Nearly every serious emotional problem can be seen as a case of misdirected instinct. Oh, misdirected instinct. When that happens, our great natural assets, the instincts, have turned into physical and mental liabilities. And in this chapter, we find more drivel about being addicted to anything. I think here more than anything, yet we see that humans are greatly obsessed creatures, which is what it says, and that is true. You know, I'm an, like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm an addict for everything. You know, life, <laughs> air. It, it, you know, I'm addicted to air because I don't want to die. I want to live. Radio. Radio. I'm addicted to radio. Definitely internet. internet. I'm definitely addicted to the internet and spotlight. You know, put me on a pedestal. I love it. I want more. You know, I can't. St- I couldn't stop eating. I couldn't stop drinking. I can't stop doing much. You know, if I smoke a cigarette, it actually gives me that good feeling. I want the whole pack. Give me one pain pill, I want the whole bottle. Although I don't take it, for those who are concerned. <laughs> I, still <laughs> want, I still want it. <laughs> Which is the point here, is that you're an addict even if you're not an addict. Because if you eat that and, and you sit there and you think, God, I just I want more, you're totally addicted either way. That's a glutton, that's not an addict. Ah, that's a glutton. Okay then, I stand corrected. You are a glutton. <laughs> But and I have a, a thousand listeners. I want a thousand more. It's everywhere, you know. Period. I want the awards. You can have some awards. I'd like some more. <laughs> and and so forth it goes. May I have another? May I have another? Just one more. Thank you, mistress. May I have another? Step five. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. This is assuming you've done something wrong. Where God is concerned, there's always black and white, good and bad, but where logic is concerned, there are vast definitions of how one thing can be wrong in one time and it's another. Although, that's the same could be said for alcohol and alcoholics. I mean, a person is right to have a glass of wine so long as it doesn't fuck up their life. Yet an alcoholic is wrong to have a glass of wine because it will fuck up their life. It's this gray area. I don't ap- appreciate. We know I don't appreciate gray at all. Yeah. That's why I say you're not an alcoholic. Because if you were, you would not drink ever at all. But Again. I'd like to think that that's not true. And I think that alcoholics could control themselves. Because I couldn't control myself. And I learned to control myself. I, I disagree with those people. Who say that once you're, when you're an alcoholic and you have to stop drinking, you stop drinking forever. I just don't see it. I don't see it. Yeah. I'm sure that there are people who can be completely addicted to it so much. I mean, it's just like cookies. If you give me one Chips Ahoy, I want to go to the store and get another Chips Ahoy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a bag, and then I want to eat them all. But I don't do that. And I'm addicted to cookies. I don't know. I just, I think there's a lot, you know, in every circumstance, there is always someone out there that they can't have a drop because otherwise they're going to need a gallon. But I think that 
those people are less than all of the alcoholics out there. I think that a lot of alcoholics could control themselves if they found a place to control themselves from. I would hope. But I'm optimistic about people, unfortunately. I give them a lot of credit. I shouldn't do that, should I? No, probably not. And in step <laughs> five, <laughs> it says all of AA's 12 steps ask us to go contrary to our natural desires. They all deflate our egos. When it comes to ego def deflation, few steps are harder to take than five. But scarcely any step is more necessary to long-time sobriety and peace of mind than five. And we see more parallels here in this book. Between the AA program and the Bible, first sentence, the 12 steps ask us to go contrary to our natural desires. And if you ask me at any time, and this is why I can't get enough of everything, is because I don't think we should be swatting ourselves on the hand talking about you know, bad natural desires. Bad. You know, it just <laughs> they're it's natural. So, it's so religious that these people deny themselves, deny, deny, deny. And and again, we say this program has a seven percent confirmed seven percent at least success rate. We're always fighting at nature. most ten percent. That leaves ninety percent of people who get back off the wagon. I wonder why they get back off the wagon. Perhaps because it's not, you know, a big deal. Perhaps because they can't deny themselves their natural want forever. Or perhaps they get bored with those fucking meetings. Easily. Easily. I would. I wouldn't be able to do it. And not only that, I never really was a believer that, you know, like even with mental health, I don't believe that putting a bunch of mentally uh, disabled people together. Well, I mean, depending on the disability, but like, you know, the depression and the anxiety and stuff like that and the drug addictions, you don't put them together and expect them to help each other get better. You know, exactly. They're not going to, they're going to encourage each other's addictions, not. It's true. Uh, you know, I don't know. I just, I've done the group therapy thing. It's nice. And in the aspect that, you know, there's other people that have worse problems at you, and yeah, that makes you feel a little bit better, but what happens in that room needs to stay in that room, and it's not good to associate with those people That's true. outside of that room. <laughs> it's just how I was, you know, seeing the Foodaholics class or discussion. I can't imagine being in a room, being a Foodaholic, and I'm surrounded by people who want to eat the same things I want to eat. That would not be healthy for me. No, it wouldn't. And they always say people, places, and things, right, is the yeah. first step to change. You need to remove those. So you would think that they would want you to get support not from another alcoholic or an ex-alcoholic, but from somebody who's never been And it takes the psychological, you know, I guess these people are sitting in these meetings and they're feeling the pain of it, which is translated differently to them. You know, when the guy gets on the stand and talks about all of his drinking debauchery they don't start drooling they feel oh that's that's terrible that's too bad we need to help this person but some of us would hear that debaucherous story and think god i need to get wasted <laughs> yeah 
And it continues, AA experience has taught us we cannot live alone with our pressing problems and the character defects which cause or aggravate them. If we have swept the searchlight of step four back and forth over our careers, it has been revealed in stark relief those experiences we'd rather not remember. If we have come to know how wrong thinking and actions have hurt us and others, then the need to quit living by ourselves with those tormenting ghosts of yesterday gets more urgent than ever. We have to talk to somebody about this. So intense, though, is our fear and reluctance to do this that many AAs at first try to bypass number five. We search for an easier way, which usually consists of the general and fairly painless admission that when drinking, we are sometimes bad actors. Then, for good measure, we add dramatic descriptions of that part of our drinking behavior, which our friends probably know about anyhow. Oh, indeed, this is the step where you call up Mr. Smith and, and tell him you're sorry for shagging his daughter over the weekend in the back of his SUV and that you're an oh, alcoholic. <laughs> I, just, I disagree strongly with that making of sweeping claims that if you're an alcoholic, you are embarrassed by what you've done, you're ashamed, and, and that it all needs to be swept under the rug and you should not talk about it. Oh, my God. Don't, don't discuss. Just apologize and move on. Exactly. I mean, if you've done something to actually hurt someone, fine. But, you yeah. know, I did everything that I was successful at, and I was pretty drunk during, it, during that entire time. And, you know, some people would say I was shit-faced drunk while doing some of these things that I've done in my career. And if I had not started this show drunk off my ass, we would not be here talking about it. Sober. That's true. I mean, I'm I'm singing parodies of the Rocky Horror Picture Show for God's sakes. I would never do that sober before. I'd have to be like three sheets to the wind. But I do that sober now. It's not because I got sober and found confidence. Because I got drunk and found confidence and then got sober. <laughs> I've, I've written most of my books while drunk. And since most of them are poetry, it's obvious since I can only write poetry when I'm drunk. And I still can only write poetry when I'm drunk. My best paintings? Drunk. Best shows before season four? Drunk. Best work as a dominatrix? Drunk. Best photos? Probably drunk. And the funniest vlogs? Definitely. We're drunk. And, and, you know, when I was a web designer, I landed some of my most profitable clients at a bar or drinking atmosphere at 2 a.m., and both of us were drunk. And they still paid me why, the next day. Why would you apologize for that? Exactly. Why would I apologize? Why would I think any of this is shameful? And, you know, I have nothing, not a I'd goddamn say, if thing. anything, you owe the alcohol a big old thank you. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, is that we read this chapter, and, you know, I'm saying that I created something for 15 years and I enjoyed it, and you enjoyed it, and people were amused and, and really took me seriously. And, and then this book was basically telling me that, you know, I should be discredited for my hard work because it altered my mental state and it wasn't who I was. And, and you know, the falling down YouTube video is, is something I should apologize for. No, that's funny. funny. Your altered men mental state is still yours. Exactly. But, of course, that would go down the dangerous path of saying that people altering their state and entertaining 
is worth it. And God forbid we say that. But it is. Everybody does it. I mean, look at how many... I mean, it sucks that so many have died from it. That's their own dumbass fault. Control. But I think for most artists, you know, it is kind of a necessity. It's weird. It is. It opens and up another part of the brain or something. That's the thing. And if you are an artist who is sober and has always been sober and, and you do create amazing things, you really should realize how special and amazing that is to tap into something in That's right. where most other of us is, has been buried. That is so true. Step six, where or were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Oh, God, now we're defective? We're defective. <laughs> Absolutely. We should be keeping a list. We're insane, defective, belligerent, stubborn. Oh, this out of is, control. This is the step that separates the men from the boys. I think everyone in chat will roll over right now. So declares <laughs> a well-loved clergyman who happens to be one of AA's greatest friends. He goes on to explain that any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try to repeatedly, try repeatedly step six on all of his faults without any reservations whatsoever has indeed come a long way spiritually and is therefore entitled to be called a man. Man up, ladies. <laughs> sincerely trying to grow in the image and likeness of his own creator but it's not about religion of course the often disputed question of whether God can and will under certain circumstances remove defects of character will be answered with a prompt affirmative by almost all any AA member to him this proposition will be no theory at all it will be just about the largest fact in his life he will usually offer his proof in a statement like this. Sure, I was beaten, absolutely licked. My own willpower just wouldn't work on alcohol. Change of scene, the best efforts of family, friends, doctors, clergymen, got no place with my alcoholism. I simply couldn't stop drinking. And no human, no human, <laughs> could seem to do the job for me. But when I became willing to clean house and then asked a higher power... God, as I understood him, <laughs> to give me release, and my obsession to drink vanished. It was lifted out of me. Ta-da! Lifted oh, right out of him, much like religion. Pray, and you will be released from your demons. So generally, we've got step six, accepting that God has worked a miracle in your life, and you're able to stop drinking, period. You have to accept, you have to believe it's just that, that why doesn't that say to people what I'm saying to them? Perception is everything. They want you, since you couldn't do it yourself, to convince yourself that a ghost or prophet or angel did it for you. So why couldn't you just convince yourself that you, your mind is powerful enough to do it for you? Don't get it. Because <laughs> we're not that strong. Exactly. Exactly. You're not that strong. So you, you look to God, who is invisible, and not calling you on the phone. So, you know, everything <laughs> you've put in this invisible friend is exactly what you could have done yourself. Completely. 
what kind of step is this? You know, God, higher power. God will do it. God will lift you. God, God, God. <laughs> when you could be God, but they God don't want great. you to think that. I don't know. Last I checked, my mother created me. Pretty much. Seems to be the way things are. Number seven, step seven. Humbly asked him, him, to remove our shortcomings so you cannot remove your own shortcomings. Someone else has to mm. remove them. Why don't you boldly, not humbly, ask yourself to remove your own shortcomings instead? Because, you know, it says, humbly ask him, please, God. What are shortcomings these. anyway? And what are shortcomings? Exactly. And why, again, is alcohol with the broad brush painted as a shortcoming? So my shortcomings have built my career into a wonderful piece of art. Oh, I see. Hmm. But, you know, I've been dealing with this a lot on, lately about, you know, ego. Because there's a lot of mention of ego in here, but which I won't get into, you know, my the ego that I'm dealing with, because that's a whole other show. But lately, you know, when I see something within me that I don't appreciate, and that is part of ego, but, you know, it's a characteristic of my animalistic side that I'm not liking. And what I do is slowly dissect that and hopefully feeling differently about that. I do away with it. I didn't have to ask someone that isn't there or that I can't see there, I should say, for those believers amongst us. You know, you can do it yourself. There's no doubt you can do it yourself, because you've been doing it all along. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, not, I'm not weeping and kneeling next to the bed, praying that, that it's gone. I'm dissecting it myself in order to have the, the confidence and the strength to remove it once I've dissected and figured out what I don't like and that I need to change. Step eight. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them. I thought that was like step three or something. That was, it was like five. That's what I thought five was. Step eight. Steps eight and nine are concerned with personal relations. First, we take a look backward and try to discover where we have been at fault. Next, we make a vigorous attempt to repair the damage we have done. And third, having thus cleaned away the debris of the past, we consider how, with our newfound knowledge of ourselves, we have developed the best possible relationships with every human being we know. Yes, this is where you call up the person of the past and explain how you fucked up and intend to better yourself. Step five, I guess, was more unveiling the truth to yourself. Oh. And, and God, probably God. So this one's more about Mr. Smith. You know, <laughs> and again, you don't have to confront someone to make yourself change. You know, if you had the balls, you'd be able to confront it yourself and change it yourself and move on. Okay. But this is like the perfect psychological play is step eight because most people will be so damn mortified to call up like grandma and admit their wrongdoings 
that they'll be so scarred by the embarrassment that they'll hopefully never want to do it again. I think that's <laughs> that's where they want you to mortify yourself into getting better, because they know that most people, when they personally confront something privately, will do it again. Yeah, most people. That's true. I don't know about you, but I've always been very well tuned into being pretty damn embarrassed by the things that I do. And I don't need to make them public in order to change them. I'm, I go home and dwell on that for a very long time. Yeah, I've always been the same way. Yeah. I, I don't need that. I do enough self-flogging that I don't need to go and have someone else do it for me. At That's all. true. At all, at all, at all, at all. So step eight is that of Mr. Smith. I think I just lost the chat room. Oh, good God. There. I know. And I apologize for that very loud sound, because that is the chat room every time I log in. Hi, Ismi. Ismi. Step nine. Are we there yet? May direct amends to such people wherever possible. Except Wasn't when... The same as step eight? Same thing. Yes. May direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So yes, these steps take forever. I digress. I'm sorry. Step eight is just to make a list of the people you have harmed. So technically, there's really only about nine or ten steps total. Probably. Right. I mean, couldn't this have been covered in step five with God and Jesus? Yeah, really. How nuts is that? Nuts. Uh, they just want to draw it out and drag it out and drill it in and, you know. <laughs> drag it out. Drill it in. <laughs> yes. Good judgment, a careful sense of timing, courage, and prudence. These are the qualities we shall need when we take step nine. Yeah. I mean, I cheated on my math e exam, drove over your Lincoln Con drove over your lawn in my Lincoln Continental. Whatever. It's I have horrible timing. This one won't work for me. The, exactly. <laughs> no. The fact that you drunkenly fucked Aunt Clarice's dog one night may be kind of the thing you keep to yourself. But, you know, how's somebody going to know that? What if they tell her? <laughs> and they mortify her. It's, like back to, it's the shades of gray. So you can make amends with a certain person on certain topics, but not on anything that will scar someone else for life. I well, they, it's like they want you to... Okay, why drudge up the past? That would only like make things worse, I would think. You know, if it's that bad that you need to go make amends for it, then it's probably something that you and the other person really don't want to relive. Exactly. Sounds like AA wants you to just dwell in the past. Probably. And, you know, I had an alcoholic come to me once. And he, I was on his list. And he felt he had offended oh. me in some way. God, are you serious? Many years ago, yes. That, that he, I had, he offended me many years ago. Or that he thought he did. And he did the whole AA spiel about helping to stay a better person. And uh, then that. And he apologized. And... I shrugged and said it was nothing, you know. What else are you supposed to do? I'm over it. Oh, that's what I mean. You're over it, so why keep 
Oh, man. Exactly. Because, you know, people already, you know, you've you've offended them, they'll deal with it. It should be more like, okay, forgive yourself for all the people that you've offended. Exactly. You know? I mean, it may be a great logical idea to go back to someone you know that you really, really fucked up with, you know, and say, sorry, I want, I know you, you know, I, I feel terrible about this. I was the jackass. I'm okay now. I'm sorry. You know, that, that would be like, you know, a few, a few people that I just, you know, pissed off on purpose, people I, I made mad and. Yeah, uh, see, know, that makes sense. Like, but we don't need to get into specifics. Yeah, I mean, I think of, like, ex-girlfriends or something, where it's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> Step 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Right. <laughs> As we work the first nine steps, we prepare ourselves for the adventure of a new life. But when we approach step ten, we commence to put our AA way of living to practical use, day by day, in fair weather or foul. Then comes the acid test. Can we stay sober? Keep an emotional balance. Live a good purpose under all conditions. A continuous look at our assets. What's that? Asses. (laughs) (laughs) and liabilities, and a real desire to learn and grow by this means are necessities for us. We alcoholics have learned this the hard way. More experienced people, of course, in all times and places, have practiced unsparring self-survey and criticism. For the wise, they have always known that no one can make such of this life until self-searching becomes a regular habit. Patiently, persistently, correcting what is wrong. Hmm. The calm after the storm, I guess. Now that you've achieved great enlightenment and found your God and your faith and tossed all responsibility onto something that doesn't exist. The God of AA, if you must. Whatever you take it as or however they were doing that. You know, now you can try to do this daily. Congratulations. And they're running out of freaking steps. They're running out of time. There should, <laughs> Shit, there should be a whole lot less steps. There should. And this is, should be a bulleted list, and the logical people should say, oh, yeah, I got it. Step how away. can any alcoholic have the attention span to even, like, keep up with all that? Yeah, I don't know about them, but if I got this big book, I'd be... I'm not even know, an alcoholic, and I'm already, like, bored and lost. I would have stopped drink. I would have stopped, stopped being sober the moment. I, that, yeah, you know, exactly. Through. I would need a drink to listen to all this shit. Read it. Exactly. Anyway. Step 11. Oh, finally. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Again with the underlining. Prayer and praying only for knowledge of his will for us the power to carry that out. How can a program that tells you to create your own God or find your own power by so ridiculous as to immediately call that God him... And again, all in the same sentence. Every sentence we read. It's like, you don't need don't God. Know. You don't need God, and you just don't have to be God. Uh, now pray to God. Oh. As you understood well, like, him, as you not as you understand him. Biggest load of bullocks. Definitely. 
And if there was ever a chapter in which you so blatantly recommended to pray, it would be this one. And it said that prayer right. is the most important thing. This is the one that says prayer is the most important thing. Although what was that in chapter 2 that said prayer alone will not work? You need God. They should pray on other alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, step 12. Yay! Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps... We try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. And don't they say the same thing, replacing certain words with God, church, you know, I found Jesus, and now I will tell you about Jesus. Right. So now that you're basically a Mormon of alcoholics exactly. running around you're for AA trying to complete recruit drunks. Door knocker. You're an alcoholic door knocker. And your job is to convince people who are not drunks that they are because they drink socially. Exactly. And it makes you wonder what an atheist feels like about this when they're in the program. And how about this? I happen to know an atheist in the program. And we'll talk about him when I get back after these messages. On. Fabulous. It's the Fabulous D Show. Wild Bunch Radio. Rainbow Mix Radio. I'm the artist D. Thank you for listening to Wild Bunch Radio, home of seven-foot-tall trannies, delusional superstars, and a really naked hairy guy who plays a lot of metal. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And there's always more at wildbunchradio.com. She's famous. She's funny. She's the artist D. Hi, I'm Samantha Renee from Sunrise and Sammy. Heard every weekday morning from 8 a.m. until 12 noon Eastern Time. And you're listening to The Fabulous D Show on Rainbow Mix Radio, where all the good songs have gone. Держите альтернативные мысли на воздухе. Quiltbunkradio.com пожертвовать. Turn it up. Hey, what's going on? This is Tony Z, and I'm not here to talk about myself and my music, which you can hear on YouTube, Facebook, and Reverb Nation. Nah, I'm here to tell everybody to listen to the fabulous Dean Vanilla Child live every Sunday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. What day? Sunday. What time? 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Where? On WildBunchRadio.com. Where? WildBunchRadio.com. Or you can go to TheArtistD.com and click the fabulous d show what do they talk about the real question is what don't they talk about do they use bad language you're fucking right they use bad language so keep your kids the hell out will they offend you not as much as burning a bible and pissing on it to put the flames out so i think most people can handle it again sunday 7 p.m to 9 p.m eastern time wildbunchradio.com or go to the artist d.com and click the fabulous d show and while you're at it you can head over to www.reverbnation.com slash toneasy t-o-n-e-a-z-y i'm out Here's to all you people who can't drink anymore. <laughs> ah, it's 
still tastes fucking great. I take every day, one beer at a time, every beer, one sip at a time. See, I think alcohol, same problem we have with drugs. Alcohol was fine if we had left it alone. Alcohol was fine when it was the four basic groups, right? Beer, gin, whiskey, and vodka, because then you had to like the taste of it, right? Yeah, you've all made that whiskey face. You know, you take a shot of whiskey, you can't help but make that whiskey face, because it tastes so strong. You take the shot and you go, ah! Huh? You've seen those 65-year-old men sitting around in bars with the permanent whiskey face on? Uh, uh, I got it. Fucking, fucking giants, huh? Jesus Christ, I don't know why Sims. I gotta get going, I'll see you guys later. Take it easy, huh? That was the whole point. If you're gonna drink it, you're gonna look that way, okay? You're gonna get that burning sensation in your chest. That's the whole fucking point. So how'd they get around that problem? They invented schnapps, the crack of alcohol, right? For all the people who wanna get fucked up but don't like the taste of it, new bubblegum schnapps, folks. Two things that should not be put together, bubblegum and fucking drinking, okay? They do not go hand in hand, and you've all had that Satan schnapps experience where you're out with somebody who's drinking the schnapps, and they all drink the same way. Because it's like candy going down. So that first half hour, you're just like sipping at a beer, maybe? They're pouring down that fucking bottle. I got fucking bubblegum schnapps, I'm fine! Half an hour later, you're driving home with the Tasmanian devil in the backseat of the he wakes up the next morning and his liver is sitting next to him having a cup of coffee. Going, you're an asshole. Shut up and get back in my body. Did you know listen to the Fabulous D show? You did? Well, tell everyone else. It's fabulous. And the artist D is too. Well done, artist D. You're amazing. Before Tad, I was just a robot. Visit wildbunchradio.com to donate to help robots like me. It's lonely being this fucking smart. Uh, yeah, we'll have two martinis, please. I don't know what they were doing. Lighting a joint like I am right now. We're not prejudiced, we hate everyone. Oregon Children's Theater costume sale uses pedo bear in ads. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing. You can do it, I can do it. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing. Those are, those are spikes. Those, those me a man. Come on. I was like, how about you give me some money? Oh my god. <laughs> and he put it in his mouth and he was like, he like moved his face towards me. I was like, no man, no man. I think it's one of those strange manhood rituals. Yeah, man. I mean... I get it. I get it. I get it. You were teasing us, too. Sometimes we're not all sugar and spice. We are the Fabulous D Show on Wild Bunch Radio, simulcast weekly on Rainbow Mix Radio. Tune in at 7 p.m. EST, 12 a.m. GMT, live every Sunday at theartistd.com. Then you're allowed to have a heart on or something, I don't know. Unsere Künstler D ist fabelhaft. Nun zurück zu The Fabulous D Show. And welcome back to the Fabelhaft D Show on Wild Bunch Radio. RainbowMixRadio.coms All iPodable downloadable at TheRSD.com Vanilla Child and the RSD with you talking about alcoholism and the 12 steps we just finished the grueling 12 steps 
They are grueling. They were very grueling, and I don't know. Thank how you for that. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. We needed. <laughs> I needed a show to show everyone exactly how ridiculous it is. And then it's there, so ridiculous. I began burning toilet paper. I heard. I heard the crackling in the background. God. It's pretty awesome. It doesn't crackle. I, I heard something. I it's heard. quiet. But then, you know, it's bad enough that the religious people go to these things, but then atheists go to the program and they want help. Ugh. And they I, should know that it's all God-based. Why would they even try? And I have a very good friend. He's an atheist and he goes to Alcoholics Anonymous for help. And he has a very hard time. And he tells me all the time about what a hard time he has because he knows I'm an atheist. And, but he needs assistance. He needs help. And that's why I'm saying that this is the only thing that's available to people in culture, you know, this is the first pushed thing. It's like, no other option. I need support of other alcoholics. I guess I have to go to a meeting. But it's basically for him, it's like me going to a priest and saying, you know, Padre, I don't believe in your God. And you know, I sleep with men. But you know, Father, please help me out. Uh, my other problems. I need some help on other problems. And he helps me. I mean, that's like, it's a complete moronic thing to do. It's weird. Why would you that do that? It is weird. Why would you go to someone? It's, it's like, you know, when you're standing there in the wedding and the minister says, uh, you know, is giving a speech about how man and woman were created to be married and, and it's only between a man and a woman and everyone in the room who loves me kind of turns and like, oh, side-eyed. <laughs> and that's the noise they make too. Hmm? But everyone oh. goes on with themselves. The minister keeps talking. Everyone keeps standing there. And everybody keeps getting married. Meanwhile, they love me, but they know that I'm the one standing there who this woman just called a complete idiot, sinner, whatever. But they've got these little sayings, though, at the meetings. Because, you know, they go in the morning, and then when you're feeling weak at night, you go again. And it's just, it's, you're replacing... An addiction with an addiction. You will always, I guarantee people, you will always replace your addiction with another addiction. That's usually the way they work. It just might not kill you, whatever you replace it with. Sometimes it will. So these people replaced alcohol with meetings. It's ridiculous. Uh-huh. And then they come back to me and they have these sayings. They like mantras, and it, it keeps you sober when you're not in a meeting. Pain, uh, pain is the touchstone of spiritual growth. No, pain is growth, period. Happiness is appreciating what you have, not getting what you want. But didn't, hang on, didn't you eventually have to get something first before you became happy in the first place? Like way back when. Because that's what I'm seeing. It's like yeah. the, the white mm, soccer mom with the white labs and the white husband and the white children and the white van driving down <laughs> White Street. She's an alcoholic and she's going to go to a meeting and they're going to say, Chrissy, you need to be happy with what you have. But really, I mean, if they're going to take that approach, she needs to go all Gandhi on their ass and, you know, remove everything. You need to be happy with any addition to your life, if you're not sitting on a street corner in a diaper, you should be happy with what you have. 
So mm. telling good old white Chrissy to take it easy and enjoy the dog and the lab and the van and the, all that, it's kind of like saying, you know, enjoy the addiction and the luxury that you've already addictively got yourself. Because she fought for that van and husband and lawn. And all that's probably just fueling the alcohol addiction. Absolutely. Another favorite of theirs is, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. Right. Or you'll die. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) We can no longer be content with just getting by. But I thought they just told us we need to stop trying to get what we want. So this what is it what sounded like. this is the quote that tells you you need to excel at life, other than the other quote that told you stop it. Mm-hmm. I spent a lifetime in hell, and it only took me twelve steps to get to heaven. As the atheist, <laughs> twelve long torturous <laughs> steps. As the atheist in the room bites his tongue once more, and tonight's number one top winner of the evening, which says it all for the entire show and alcoholics anonymous write this down people would you like to be right or happy (laughs) (laughs) rather be both paint me pink and call me an elephant if this doesn't (laughs) just say it would you rather be right or happy right or happy one or the other you can't be right and you can't be happy because if you're right you know you're not happy (laughs) come to church cling to faith pull the curtain back over the wizard happy's where it's at (laughs) pretend pretend fake it till you make it yeah because you want to be happy what is the matter with you people (laughs) happiness is overrated Apparently, and that's the other. I'd be I mean, right. Well, and that's that's the totally other side of the coin. Is that more people who think you don't have God, you must be unhappy. How can you be happy if you don't have God? And if you look around, how could you see beauty in anything without God? How can you control yourself without God? Which is why this is the preemptive strike show. To next week's show, which you're going to be on vacation for, Vanilla Child. I am. It's you my anniversary. Know, it's anniversary, and we're giving you a night off. Two years, so I can go not make babies. Absolutely. <laughs> next week's show is about God. And I, anyone in here who's listening, I don't want you to be scared away. I want you to come and listen to what we have to say. Just like I would come to church and listen to what you have to say. Another reason I have off, because I believe in God. (laughs) (laughs) Therefore, (laughs) I would defeat the whole purpose. Maybe, maybe not. Believers can still be, you know, welcome. But you guys are in for a treat, because somebody special will be taking my place. Special, the ship has landed. We've got a very special guest co-host, and it's no secret that it is Lola Jane, a.k.a. Charlotte Bukowski, the co-host, my original co-host back from the season one of The Fabulous D Show. Charlotte will be joining us from her spaceship to tell us all about life in a spaceship, because she finally found it, found the keys. Oh, She's the one. Lucky the keys, her. I know. 
So she'll tell us all about that. And while we talk about the God delusion and it's our special pre-Thanksgiving show on the Fabulous D show. So tune in for that next week. Same God channel, same God time. God damn. And isn't, isn't Mac making a comeback soon too? He will soon be back at the end of the month. We've got a Mac attack. A Mac attack, a big Mac attack. Absolutely. So thank you, Vanilla Child. Thank you, Dee. And thank you, everybody listening and in chat. Everyone in I chat. shall see you in two weeks. Two weeks. And we two will weeks. see you then. Have a lovely anniversary and don't make any babies. No, we'll just have lots of sex, but no babies. No babies. Don't want those. Those are babies are bad, kids. <laughs> don't have babies. Until next week, it's the Artist D of the Fabulous D Show. Remember, iPodable, downloadable, everythingable, until forbid, at theartistd.com. Tune in next week. Lola Jane will be with us. I am the Artist D. Good night. So what now? I think I want to go home. Me too. Well then, let's finish the shows and go home.